Lord. Good to be here with you tonight. So thankful for the great privilege and opportunity of coming and sharing with you the truth of the Word of God. It's always a blessing for me to be with God's people in God's place, experiencing God's power. That's a, it's a powerful thing. It's so good to uh, be able to do that in the middle of the week, be refreshed in the Spirit of God by the Word of God. And uh, so glad that you've made the decision to come be with us tonight. If you have your Bibles, please turn them with me to Hebrews chapter number 10, and we'll get there in a minute. Now, you may have noticed that uh, it's beginning to look a, a whole lot like Christmas around here, and there's reason for that. Um, this weekend, we're going to have one of my favorite services that we do here at Mount Zion, and that's our Hanging of the Green service. That'll be Sunday night. We're going to do that at 5 o'clock, and some of our ladies have been working hard this week, trying to prepare for that, getting all that ready, and we're so thankful for them. And um, I love that service for many reasons. Number one, it really gets you in the Christmas spirit. Now, I know some of you may not need that. You're kind of like my wife. I've accused her of being part Christmas elf. She's been watching Christmas movies for at least the last uh, two months, and she's got about 460 Hallmark Channel Christmas movies already recorded that she'll watch all next year. So she, she don't need to get in the Christmas spirit much. She pretty much stays in it. And some of you may be that way. But if that's not the case, then I can promise you uh, Sunday evening will help you get to that place where you're ready for Christmas. And so it's always a, a joy to come together and uh, just uh, serve the Lord and honor Him. Number two, the reason I like our Hanging of the Green service is it's just another opportunity for us to praise Jesus. Can you see Amen? And that's what we always want to do. Uh, for he is uh, the reason for this Christmas season. He's the reason we have Christmas time. And if we don't have a Christ-centered Christmas, then uh, Christmas means nothing. And so I am thankful that we've got the great privilege of coming together and just honoring and worshiping him. And so if you like to hear some good Christmas music played and sung, then you come Sunday evening because we've got a lot of talented folks around here who use their talents for the honor and glory of God and sing praise unto him, and you're going to experience that Sunday night. And then number three, we're going to enjoy a good meal together, which I always like. Uh, we've got ladies and gentlemen around the church that know their way around the kitchen, and I'm glad that they, too, use their talents to, um, to bless all of us. And so we'll, we'll enjoy a meal after our 5 o'clock service. All of that will begin at 5 o'clock Sunday evening, and we'll surely have our uh, also our Sunday morning worship, but... All of that's happening Sunday, so be much in prayer for those services. I'm asking that you would uh, invite someone to come out and be with you um, Sunday morning, Sunday night, both services, so that, um, again, we can just honor, praise, and glorify the Lord. Amen? That's what we, amen? That's what we always want to do, so uh, uh, let's remember that this weekend. Looking forward to it. But tonight... We're going to be back in Hebrews chapter number 10. And we're going to get there in just a little bit, but I want you to keep your place there in Hebrews chapter number 10. I'm going to be going to several other places in Scripture. And if you are not able to, uh, to if we don't get, have time to look at them in our Bibles tonight, I want to encourage you to write them down. Uh, take notes and write down these Scriptures that I give you because I want you to know what I'm giving you comes straight from the precious, powerful truth of the Word of God. I want you to know I'm not getting this from a magazine somewhere. It's not coming from the, 
Reader's Digest or Time Magazine or Sports Illustrated or, or whatever else you want to, what magazine you want to talk about or a newspaper, anything like that. No, we're, we're getting this straight from God's Word. I want you to know that because that's where the power is. Amen? It's not because I say it. It's because God's Word says it. And so I want you to know that uh, what we're sharing with you comes straight from the pages of Scripture. So uh, we'll be looking at several different places tonight. Get your Bibles ready. Uh, get your pens ready. And let's... Um, Let's see what God has for us. I want to ask a very important question, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Word of God, I want to answer that question. And the question I want to answer tonight is, what is the difference in Christianity and religions of the world? What, what's the difference in those two things? And really, the, the short answer that probably a lot of you are even thinking right now, well, Christianity is not even a religion, and you would be exactly right. That's the truth. Christianity is not religion, and, and that's certainly the right answer. But let's dive deeper into that. Why do we say that? Why would we say that Christianity is not a religion? Because, um, number one, Christianity is not a religion, but it is a relationship. If you believe that, say amen tonight. I remember something that Dr. Uh, Vance Pittman said years ago. He's one of my favorite preachers alive today. He's a pastor at the Hope Church, Hope Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. Planted that church. I guess about 10, 15 years ago now. And man, the Lord has just blessed it greatly and it's grown um, in, in a big way out there in Las Vegas. And he's, I was at a men's conference where he was preaching at years ago. And he said that while he was flying home from Las Vegas back to Alabama, he's originally from Tuscumbia, that uh, he was sitting beside a lady on the plane and she asked him during the course of the flight um, what he did for a living. And he said that he was a pastor. And he said the moment he said he was, she, he, that he was a pastor, that lady kind of acted aggravated or a little bit ill that he even said it. And she said, well, I just don't, I care nothing for religion. And she said, I, I don't like organized religion and I, I just really want nothing to do with it. And, and I want to tell you what he told her. He said, well, I couldn't agree with you more. He said, I don't want anything to do with religion. He said, matter of fact, I think religion has done about as much harm than any other thing in this world. And he is exactly right. See, Christianity is not a religion, but it is a relationship. And so to really understand what I'm talking about, I think we need to define what religion actually is. And this is how I would define um, religion. Religion is man's feeble attempt to make themselves right with God through their own self-righteous actions. And that's really, I believe, what religion is at its core. Well, that's not at all what God wants from us. How many of you understand this evening that God is not offering you a set of rules and regulations that you've got to keep so that you can make yourself right with God? That's never been God's plan. I want you to know if he did give us a set of rules and regulations to keep, we would find out very quickly that we can never keep them. <laughs> And if you don't believe me, just look back in the Old Testament. God gave them the law that, that was right for them that he said that they, they needed to adhere to. But, but guess what they did? Because of their sinful nature, they couldn't keep that law. And because of our sinful nature, we cannot keep God's law. None of us can. That's why the scripture says in the book of Galatians that the law of God 
was our schoolmaster that brought us to Christ. It taught us our need for grace. It taught us our need for a Savior. It taught us that we cannot make ourselves right with God, but God, through His mercy and grace, given to us because He loves us, listen, He can make us right with Himself. And He's done that through the person of His Son. Now, the, the, the Bible says in John chapter number 3, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. I love this verse. He said, Nicodemus, except a man be born again. Everybody say born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. He's not only talking to Nicodemus there. He's talking to Israel. He's talking to you. He's talking to every man, woman, boy, or girl that's ever been born and ever will be born in this world. He said, brother, how do you know that? Because in the, in the course of that conversation, he makes it very plain. John 3, 16, he's still talking to Nicodemus. And he tells him how he can be born again. He says, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have what? Everlasting life, John 3, 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Nicodemus uh, got a hold of that truth that Jesus gave him, and we got to get a hold of it tonight. Except we be born again, then we cannot enter the kingdom of God. See, God is not offering you a set of rules and regulations to keep, but he's offering you a relationship with himself. And it happens at the moment you, by grace through faith, trust in the finished work of Jesus, receive this free gift of salvation. And the Bible says in that moment, you are born again into the family of God. If you believe it, say amen this evening. And that's what we were talking about Sunday. I, this is kind of, I'm going to tie it in with tonight's lesson because I think it ties in uh, beautifully, really, from the Word of God, really what uh, Hebrews chapter 10 is telling us. But um, I just get, didn't get done finished uh, Sunday, and, and I, I don't want to share it, continue this on just a little bit because, man, it, it's just so good what God has done for us. And so uh, religion can never do for us what needs done. God is not offering us a set of rules and regulation, but a relationship. Christianity is not religion, but relationship that God is offering um, when we place our trust, our faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, the difference between Christianity and religions of the world. Religion can make you religious, but it cannot and will not ever make you righteous. And there's a difference. There are a lot of religious people who are not righteous people. But guess what? God requires righteousness. For he himself is righteous. And righteousness can only come through a relationship with Christ. Now, how is that possible? What do I mean from that? Well, when we receive this gift of salvation, first and foremost, that sin that all of us were born into. You remember us talking about that Sunday morning, how that we were all born with the sinful nature, and then <clears throat> later on, not only do we have a sinful attitude, but we sinned in action. We actually began to do what that nature in us led us to do. And so we need to understand we, are, we came here sinners by our sinful nature, but we're also sinners because of the choices and decisions we make to rebel against God. 
And that's exactly what all of us have done. We have broken his law. And it's because of that sin that we are separated from God who is holy. Now, when we place faith in Jesus, the Bible says our sin is once and for all forgiven. If you believe it, say amen. How are you thankful tonight that those who are in Christ have had their sin washed away now when god took away the sin he took away the separation and we can now be reconciled to god according to first corinthians chapter number five and so we need to understand and know uh, that this gift of salvation uh first and foremost we are our, our sins are forgiven but but let me tell you what else happens not only is our sin forgiven but the righteousness of jesus himself is imputed unto us. Everybody say imputed. Now, imputed, the Greek word that is used here is actually an accounting term. And, it, and it, all it means is to put on someone's account. So what the Bible is teaching is that through, when we receive the gift of salvation by grace through faith, through the finished work of Christ, listen to me, our sin is taken off our account and the righteousness of Christ is put on our account. So now when God sees me, he no longer sees me as being in sin, but sees me as the righteousness of his son. Now folks, I don't know about you, but that's good news. You said, brother, where you get that at? Well, Romans chapter 4 and other places, but I love Romans chapter 4. Let's look over there just a moment. Romans chapter 4. Starting in the first 16 verses, you're going to see that Paul makes the argument that we are justified or made right with God, not by works of the law, not through religious activity, but by faith. Go back and read it this week, man. It'll bless your heart. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And he brings up then Father Abraham. Abraham, who is the father of the faith. Abraham, who believed God. Listen what he says about him in uh, Romans chapter 4, verse number 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Now, who do you think he's talking about there? Abraham. Abraham is the father of many nations. He's the one who believed God in Genesis chapter 12 when God told Abraham, he said, Abraham, I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And what I'm going to do for you, Abraham, I'm going to make your seed as many as the sand on the seashore or the stars in the heavens. And from you, Abraham, it's from you that all the world is going to be blessed. Now, there was only one problem with that. Well, really, there was a lot of problems with it. First of all, Abraham at that moment he, that God said that, he didn't have an heir. He didn't have a son. He didn't have anybody that, was carry, that would carry on physically his family lineage. But now listen, that's not the only problem. Now, when Abraham did finally have a son, he was at that time a hundred, and Sarah, his wife, was ninety. And both of them were past the childbearing age. Neither one of them could physically produce children. At least Sarah couldn't. Now let's go on to verse number 18. Uh, let's finish verse 17, then we'll move on. He says, I've made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, that quickens the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. What's the Bible telling us? God spoke all of this long before he gave Abraham the son. When Abraham thought his wife's womb was barren. When she was physically past the age of bearing children. 
God said, this is going to happen. And the Bible makes it plain there in verse 17. Abraham believed God. Let's go to verse 18. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. There it is, verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed unto him, unto Abraham, for what? Righteousness was put on Abraham's account all because he placed faith in who God was and what God said. When we place faith in who God is, in what God has said. See, who God is is our Heavenly Father who loved us so much that He chose to send His only begotten Son to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. That's who God is. Y'all believe that? And Jesus, the Son of God and God the Son, came and dwelt upon earth as a man so that he might do for men what men can't do for themselves. He went to a cross and took my sin debt and took your sin debt and conquered the grave so that we too could experience the newness of life. And I want you to know God did all of that because he loved you. That's who God is. And the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? The Bible says faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17, and hearing by the word of the Lord. Do you believe it tonight? Now, now look what the Bible says to us. Watch. Verse number 23. Now it was written not for his sake alone that it was imputed unto him, but for, uh, for us also to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. So just like Abraham, if we believe uh, who God is and what God said, by faith, by grace through faith, then righteousness is then put on our account. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Any good? Religion can make you religious. It can cause you to put a check mark by all the things you consider to be quote-unquote good things. It can cause you to not do the things you believe are quote-unquote bad things. And you can become very religious, but you will never be righteous apart from faith in Christ. Continue reading. The Bible teaches in verse 25 that Jesus was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Wherefore, being justified, made right by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see it? Religion will make you religious, but it will never make you righteous. Big difference. Number three, religion will wear you out, but it will never give you rest. Amen? It'll wear you slam out. But it will never give you the rest you, your heart, your soul truly desires. 
Let me prove it to you. Matthew chapter 23. Brothers, if you will, please put for me verse number 23. Matthew 23, 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, Jesus says. Jesus speaking here. For you tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not and have left the other undone. Now let me, let me tell you what Jesus is saying there. He's speaking to the Pharisee. And the Pharisee was extremely religious. As a matter of fact, they were the most religious sect of the Jewish people. They believed it was by their own self-righteous actions that they made themselves more godly, more than anybody. I mean, these were the people who had memorized the first five books of the Bible. And from the time they were about eight years old, they had spent time in seminary learning to be a Pharisee, learning, to, uh, um, uh, learning the law and learning to live by the law. These men were extremely pious. They dressed the right way and talked the right way. And they didn't go to church just once a week. They went to church every day. I mean, these dudes were really a religious bunch, if anybody was. Jesus is speaking unto them, and he says to them, you're tithing of your spices from your garden. That's what anise and cumin and mint are. Now, why would he bring this up? Because it was only required under the law for the Jewish people under the law to tithe of their finances. That's all that was required. You bring a tenth of your finances that you make at your workplace through your vocation. You bring that to the Lord because that's His. Well, that's the part God requires. Now, how many of you know all of it's His? 100% of it's His. God said, I just want you to bring a tenth of your income. Um, so, and He says in, in the book of Malachi, so that there may be bread in my house. That's good. We'll look at that later. But um, what He's saying there is you're tithing of the spices of your garden. You're going above and beyond what the law even requires. See, what the Pharisees had done, because of the traditions of men, um, they had actually wrote along with what God had commanded their own set of laws that they went by, which made the law even more burdensome. Gave themselves some other areas that they could check off and say, I'm better than somebody else. Because really that's what um, religious-minded people, that's how they act. The Pharisee loved to sit up on their spiritual high horse and look down on everybody else. Right? They're the ones who's doing the th everything right and everybody else is wrong. And they're the ones who's close to God and everybody else is not. They're the ones who's faithful to doing what God said and everybody else is the one that's missing it. And they look down their nose at everybody. And they've even went as far as saying, you know what, not only am I going to tithe my finances, I'll even tithe the spices from my garden, they were wore out in keeping the laws they had and also wore out by doing the laws they created. And they completely and totally missed the whole point of who God is and what God wanted. And Jesus says, you should have left off tithing the spices from your garden and, and, and took about weightier matters like judgment, mercy, and faith. Let me ask you this. 
What does judgment, mercy, and faith deal with? Relationship. (laughs) Relationship to God and relationship to man. That's what God has really always been after. Relationship with mankind. (laughs) That's what he's always wanted since the garden. Jesus is telling them, you've missed the whole point. Let me tell you how bad they missed it. If you remember when we started throughout the book of John, and we looked at John chapter number 5. John chapter 5, Jesus heals the man at the pool of Bethesda. The Bible says he was a lame, the man was a lame man. He couldn't walk. He was crippled. And he, had been, he was laying there on a pilot there by the side of the pool because he believed that an angel would come at certain times and trouble that water. And then whoever stepped down into the water when the water was troubled, they'd be healed. Now, I don't know whether or not there was an angel that was troubling the water or not. I don't know if anybody is getting healed. But that man believed that. And he thought it was his only hope. And he had been lame, been crippled a very long time, and was laying there at the pool. And then the Bible says that Jesus comes by and he asks him a question. Wilt thou be made whole? (laughs) Kind of sounds like a silly question. But it's deep if you think about it. Jesus did this many times. Do you remember when he healed blind Bartimaeus on the road to Jericho? He asked him pretty much the same question. Do you want to receive your sight? It was the lame man's choice to receive what Jesus was offering, just like it was blind Bartimaeus' choice to receive what Jesus was offering, just like it's my choice and your choice to receive what Jesus is offering. Does he offer it? Yes. Does he force it upon you? No. Now I know the hyper-Calvinists would not see it that way. I just believe they're wrong. He offers you that opportunity. But I do not believe he forces himself upon you. Jesus heals the man. The Bible says he leaves there that day carrying the bed that he was lying upon. The bed that symbolized a life that really was a terrible existence. A life that kept him from being all God wanted him to be. This man had hope that he had never had before, all because he met Jesus. And he was carrying his bed. While he was carrying it away from the pool of Bethesda, guess what happens? Some Pharisees see him doing that, scribes and Pharisees. And they said, it's, it's the Sabbath day, man. Why are you carrying your bed? And he said, you ain't going to believe it. This man called Jesus. He healed me there at the pool. That's why I picked my bed up and I'm carrying it. Amazing. You know what the Bible says in John 5, 18? It says, from that day forward, the Pharisees sought to kill Jesus because he healed a man that was lame. Does that make any sense to you? They had missed the whole point. They had missed the point of justice, mercy, and faith that he spoke of in Matthew 23. They had missed 
that this man had just received a new life. That a miracle had been done. They missed all of it. Why? They were blinded by religion. They missed it. That's sad. It's so sad that they had the one who could give them a right relationship with God. They had God incarnate in the flesh before them. And they chose to reject him. When he was right there, right there with them. And you say, Brother, how could people do that? Good question. I wonder how people do it today. Because the same thing is being done even right now. There are people who sit in churches week after week, service after service, hearing sermon after sermon after Sunday school lesson after Sunday school lesson, and God pricks that heart, and they continually choose to reject the relationship that Christ is offering. And I believe a lot of it is because they want to hold on to that dead religion because it makes them feel good about what they can do. That's human nature. That's the sinful nature. I want you to know this. Satan would just as soon send somebody to hell from a church pew as he would the gutter. And a person sitting in a church pew who hasn't received Jesus by grace through faith is just as lost as the man in the gutter. Religion will make you religious. It will not make you righteous. Religion will wear you out with trying to do all the stuff that you think will make you right with God, but it will not give you rest. I can honestly say to you tonight, my soul is at rest. I can honestly say. Now, I couldn't always say that. I'll be honest, folks. There were times in my life when I would literally quiver in fear at the thought of dying. I can remember that. I can remember laying in bed, literally quivering, because I knew if I died before I woke up the next morning, I'd split hell wide open. I knew it. I knew I wasn't ready to meet God. But I can honestly say to you tonight that if I die before I leave this place, I have peace in my soul that I'm going home to be with Jesus. Let me tell you why. I'm no longer trusting in what I can do. I'm trusting in what he's already done. I've been born again into the family of God. Not because of my goodness, but His. Not because of who I am, but because of who He is. Not because of what I've done or hadn't done, but because of what He's done for me. Amen? And if you don't have that rest, let me encourage you. Stop trying so hard and start trusting. Religion will wear you out. won't give you any rest. Number four. Religion forces good works. 
relationship produces good works. It does. It does. It's amazing. Religion says I got to do this so that I can put the check mark by that line item. <laughs> relationship says I get to do this because God loves me and I love him. It's about a different mindset. And it's a different mindset because we've been made new in Christ. Amen? Now, even those in Christ from time to time can really get back in that old mindset of, I have to do it that I don't get to do it. I got to do it. I don't get to do it. If, if we're not careful, we, we can allow that old nature to creep back up on us. Can you say amen? We cannot allow it to call the shots instead of walking in the Spirit. And our walk with Christ becomes something that we got to do, not something that we get to do. Oh, folks, listen. Jesus offers life you get to do. There's a difference. Let me see if I can illustrate it for you. When you're looking through the eyes of religion, I got to come to church. But when you're looking through the eyes of relationship, well, I get to come to church. I get to come and experience the presence and power of God. I get to be with the people of God. I get to hear the truth of the word of God. I get to sing praise unto God. I get to serve God. I get to teach the Sunday school class. I get to preach the sermon. I get to pray the prayer. I get to take up the offering. I get to sweep the floor. I get to do whatever God allows me to do because he's worthy of service. I get to do it. See the difference? When your religious mind is, I, I got to read the Bible. Like, I, I, that's an obligation that I got to do so that maybe God will be pleased with me today. No, no. Relationship says, I get to read my Bible because I know that's God's love letter for me. There's something in there for me. Can you say amen? When you're looking through the eyes of religion, well, I've got to do something good for somebody else. But when you've got a relationship with Christ, you realize you get to do something good for somebody else. Why? Because then I can extend the love to others that's been extended to me. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts as Christians by the person of the Holy Spirit. Now that, God, that love that God has given me, I can give to somebody else. The grace that has been extended to me, I can extend to somebody else. And it's amazing how God gives you opportunities to do that. Let me tell you what happened to me just today. And I, I don't encourage you to do something, folks. I hadn't always been faithful. I've missed God many times. I want to kick myself for it. But I'm thankful today. I'm thankful today that God gave me opportunity to serve somebody else, to help somebody else. I was on my way to the, I had to go and get some new uh, glasses today. Uh, that's why I, I can't hardly see with my new glasses. I, somebody asked me last week, they said, uh, are you able to see? Because they could notice, they thought the lighting had messed my eyes up. But I, I, if y'all have noticed, I've had to hold it right up here. And a lot of times I still can't read it, so I had to get new glasses. I went and got them today over at Florence. Um, and, and now I can't hardly see with these, but it's still messing me up. So maybe I'll get used to them. But anyway, just bad to get old. You know, that's kind of where I'm headed. And, and um, I'm seeing it more and more and more. But anyway, I went to Florence today to get that. On my way up there, I left about dinner time. Got up to Hackleburg uh, about uh, 
about lunch. And my daughter was working today in Hackleburg. And I thought, you know what, I don't get to um, at least give my daughter lunch anymore or have lunch with her. So I think I'll do that, you know. And, and she was working up there, so I called her and said, have you ate dinner yet? She said, no. So I stopped by um, Rowdy Hogs Barbecue, which is a great place to eat if you hadn't ate there. And I got uh, me a plate lunch and got her a plate lunch. And, I, man, it smelled so good. I was so hungry. Hadn't eaten anything this morning. Um, and so uh, since early in the morning, and I was ready for lunch. And all the way out there, boy, my mouth just watering. And got out to the work site, and she was actually out on the road working and couldn't eat at that time. So I was just going to leave it with her and leave and, and go eat somewhere else. And so I dropped my plate off or her plate off with her there at the work site, and I turn around to go back out to 43. And, and do you ever feel those nudges from the Lord? That, that Man, sometimes you're just like, God, really? You know, I, I was going back to, to uh, 43 from 172 over there by Heichelberg School, and there was a guy that Mother Road flagging. And it's, it's one of those two-before moments, and that's how God sometimes has to speak to me, not with a nudge, but with that two-before that he just hits you right upside the head with. And um, on the way back, the Lord is this like the Lord impressed upon me? Give that man that lunch. I was like, man, he's out there standing in the middle of the road flagging, you know, with a stop paddle. I was like, Lord, I, that hamburger steak was smelling really good. And the closer I got, man, God just really impressed it upon me. And I stopped there where that guy was flagging. I said, hey, man, um, you're going to think I'm crazy. I said, have you ate dinner yet? He said, well, I, I ate a little something a little while ago. He said, but I can still eat. And I said, um, well, you don't think I'm crazy. I said, but I just feel like the Lord impressed upon me to give you this lunch. I'm going to give it to you. I just bought it. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, I'm going to give it to you, and I just want you to know God loves you, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, man, when I said that and gave him that lunch, you already seen this man's face. Big tears just start welling up in his eyes. And I said, no, wait a minute, man. It's just a hamburger steak. I mean, don't, don't expect too much. He said, no, man, it might just be a hamburger steak, but I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. He, and he said, you have a Merry Christmas. I said, you have a Merry Christmas too. And I left there this evening thinking, man, it truly is better to give than to receive. Jesus was right. But when, listen, when you have that relationship with Christ, these, these become moments you get to do. And I want to encourage you, child of God, when you feel that nudge, Follow that. Follow that. You never can tell what God might do in that. You know, when, when you wake up in the morning, has this ever happened to you? You wake up in the morning with just with somebody on your mind, and you can't get them off your mind, you just keep thinking about them. You, you know what I believe God wants, if nothing else? Pray for that person. If they're on your mind, just start praying for them. Lord, I don't know what's going on in their life, but you put them in my head for a reason. So I'm asking you right now, do what's needed in their life. Help to, Lord, help them to accomplish your goodwill and purpose for them. Lord, I don't know what they need, but you know what they need. Pray for them. Let me tell you something else good you can do. Encourage them. One of the most encouraging things you can do for somebody is just give them a text message and say, man, I'm praying for you today and I love you. Praise God for you. Do that. When God puts those people on your heart and mind, Man, listen to me. Follow that nudge. Follow that nudge. These are things we get to do as the people of God. If you believe it, say amen. Listen, good works are not the reason for our relationship to God. Good works are the result of our relationship to God. Do not misunderstand me when I say that 
we are not saved by works. That, that doesn't mean there shouldn't be good works in the life of a believer. That just means we're saved by Jesus so that we might do good works so that God might be glorified. That's what that means. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. We looked at this Sunday. I want to take it just a step further. Look what it says. Ephesians 2 and verse number 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Verse 9. And out of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, watch this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in him. Everybody take a close look at that word workmanship. In the Amplified Version, that word says the works of his hands. We are the works of his hands. The picture is that of a master craftsman, a carpenter, a welder, um, a painter who creates something with his own hands. That's what God has done in us as believers. We are his workmanship. I was just here the other day when the guys were, had come to put the pews in. And uh, man, hadn't they done a good job? Don't look great. And they, they had actually done the work. I asked them, I said, are y'all the ones who sanded them down, broke them down, recovered them, um, stained them down? He said, oh, yeah, man, we do all of it. He said, that we've got different crews that do different jobs. And he said, this was our job. And we, we, we done all of it. We're going to put them together for you today. And I watched them as master craftsmen as they knew exactly what they were doing, putting everything together. But you know what? All these things they put together in here as master craftsmen the works of their hands is doing work. I'm looking at it right now. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. They're holding you up while you sit in them. Amen? The work of the craftsman does work. We are his workmanship. Good works are the result of a relationship, not the reason for a relationship. Religion forces good works. Relationship produces good works. If you believe it, say amen. So let's look at that in light of Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. We're going to do it quickly. Our relationship is twofold. As children of God, as Christ followers, we have first and foremost a vertical relationship. Now, what I mean by that is we have a relationship with God the Father who's in heaven. Amen? We're born again into his family. But guess what else? We are in a family. I've got brothers and sisters in Christ right here in this building. Others that should be here. A lot of empty pews tonight. They should be here. Tell them. Call them. Ask them. Encourage them. Man, we missed you. Come be with us. We have a vertical relationship with God, but we have a horizontal relationship with the family that we are born into when we are born again. 
And Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, tells us how we can grow in both relationships. Watch what it says. First of all, it talks about our vertical relationship. Hebrews 10, verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus is so good, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, verse 21, and having a high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let me tell you what that's saying. That's saying that now, because Jesus, Jesus has done for us what we couldn't do. He's finished his work of salvation, his salvific work. Let me tell you what happens now. Now us as mere mortals, as human beings, can enter into the holy place of God. We can come boldly to the throne of grace and we can have relationship with God the Father. If you're thankful for that tonight, say amen. Isn't that good news? And all of that is possible because of our high priest. He's talking about our relationship with God. He says, let's draw near to Him. Let's draw near to Him. It's a blessing when you are near the Father. There's joy when you're near the Father. Peace, purpose when you're near the Father. Power in your life when you are near the Father. Let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith. Look at verse 23. Watch what this says. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. I'm going to give you my commentary on Hebrews 10, 23. Hold in there, or hang in there like a rusty fish hook. That's what he's talking about. Hey, don't give up. Don't let up. Don't give in till you are called up. Can you say amen? Be faithful. Be faithful. The Bible says in the book of Galatians, let us not become weary in well-doing. Be faithful. Draw near. And all of us can who've placed faith in Christ because of that vertical relationship with God the Father. He's talking about our vertical relationship and through 19 through 23, but then he talks about our horizontal relationships. Look how he puts it. Watch this, verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. I hope and pray tonight that when you leave this place, not only does this bless your heart tonight, I hope and pray that tomorrow it causes you to bless somebody else. Folks, let me tell you something. Listen to me. I've said it once, I'll say it again. What we do here has to be more than a pep rally. It has to be more than motivation. Do I like being motivated? Yes. Do I like motivating? Yes. Nothing wrong with any of that. But now it's got to go deeper than that. It needs to cause us as we apply this truth to our life and allow God the Holy Spirit to work on us, work in us, and work through us that we go out into a world, listen to me now, and do good things for people. Are you good? me? We provoke one another to love and to good works. That's what we do in the body of Christ. What we should do. Then he says this. How can we grow in both our vertical and our horizontal relationship? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. What is he talking about? 
the assembling of ourselves together. He's talking about being plugged into the local church. Folks, you cannot be plugged into the local church if you're not faithful in attending the local church. I was talking to a lady here a while back. Man, it's, it's amazing. You know what she said? She, been, she hadn't been in church three or four months. Saw her at uh, the gas station. I said, man, I've been missing you. I said, where, where you been? She said, I just don't feel like I got any friends down at that church. How in the world can you have friends if you're never around people you want to be friendly with? How are you going to do that? Does that make any sense to you? Hey, stay plugged in and faithful to coming to church. I know I'm preaching to the choir, to the Wednesday night crowd, but don't this need to be said? Stay plugged in. Stay faithful. He says... Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. No, I get it. I understand. Look, we're all busy. We all got stuff going on. Everybody does. I know. But let me tell you this. If you are too busy to be faithful to the regular assembly of the church, you are too busy. You're too busy. And the truth is, if we're honest, all of us find time to do what we want to do. And if there's no want to, then you've got to question some things. Either are you born again truly, or are you completely out of the will of God as a child of God? Because one of the two is the case. You say, Rosa, how do you know that? I know that because I've been there. All of us do some from time to time. When do we assemble? We assemble on Sunday morning. We assemble on Wednesday night. We assemble on Sunday night on, at different occasions with small group ministry. We assemble at those times. Now, you may not be able to come to everything, but you ought to come to those regular assemblies. Amen? Now, I know that we've got a podcast that a lot of people listen to, and when they listen to it, um, they listen to it, a lot of them, because they can't be at church. And I'm not talking to you if you hear me on a podcast. But let me tell you this. For those who listen to the podcast so they don't have to come to church, I am definitely talking to you. Do not forsake the assembling together. Why? Because something happens in corporate worship that don't happen anywhere else. You, you understand me? And it's the fulfillment of the word of God. What do we do in worship? Well, we do just that. We worship. Look at Psalm 100. Brothers, put that on the screen for me. Psalm 100. Watch what this says. It's a great psalm. Fantastic. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Oh, brother, I, I come before his presence every day. I'm riding to work in my car, and I'm just singing to Jesus. Praise God. Keep doing that. Nothing wrong with that. I do it too. Sing in the shower. Everybody sounds better in the shower. Even, even me. So a lot of times I do that. Nothing wrong with that. So what's I have to do with coming to church? We'll keep reading. Look at verse 3. Watch this. Know ye that the Lord, he is God, is he that made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pastor. Verse 4. Enter into his gates with what? Into his gates is where he chooses to be. 
And into his courts with praise, be thankful unto him and bless his name. Guess what? When God's people come together, he meets with us where two or three are gathered. He's what? He's there also. He's in the midst. Praise the Lord. So guess what that means? These are his gates, his courts. And all of us are told in the word of God to come into his courts with what? Praise. Why? Because he's worthy of it. It's he who made us and not we ourselves. Look at the next verse. Watch this. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. Worship happens here. There's a picture in the book of Revelation. Of all the saints of God of all time. From every kindred, tongue, nation. Bringing praise and worship unto the Lord. Guess what we're doing Every time we come together corporately, singing praises unto God, we're getting ready for heaven. Really what's happening is just a little bit of heaven here on earth. Amen? Don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on that. Worship happens here. Preaching happens here. Acts chapter 20, verses 5 through verse number 12, and I'm going to be done. Acts 20 and 5, watch what this says. Paul there is preaching on a missionary journey. And look, look what happens. These going before tarried us at Troas. Look at verse, verse 6. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. This brother, you talking about, you said, brother, was a long-winded preacher. I'm not as long-winded as Paul. Bible said he started in the day and preached till midnight. But this verse does encourage me. It truly does. There's some encouraging it for a pastor. And upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together and break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and he continued his speech until midnight, verse 8. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen in deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Paul, in my estimation, is the greatest preacher to ever preach the gospel other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And even people fell asleep in his preaching. So it don't make me feel too bad. But what were they doing? They were there together under the preaching of the word of God. Preaching of the word of God happens in corporate worship. That is fantastic. How are we going to live the truth if we don't know the truth? Verse 10. And Paul went down, fell on him, embracing him, said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. And when he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long day, um, even till break of day, so he departed. Verse 12. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comfort. Did you see that? Miracles happened. In corporate worship. This young man was healed. He looked like he was dead. I believe because he was dead. And I believe God by the prayers of his people. Raised up this young man. Everybody okay with that in a Baptist church? You know we still have a healing God. Who is able to heal spiritually and physically. You know God has not changed. 
You know, God does things when his people come together and pray that he don't do nowhere else. So don't miss out on coming together with his people and praying and being on the preaching of the word of God and being, worship, being in worship with the people of God. Man, come and be a part of that. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? We grow in our vertical relationship in church and we grow in our horizontal relationships in church. If you believe it, say amen. Any comments or questions?